Thank you, Cheryl, for doing that for the children. I sat there, and as soon as you started, I told my wife, like, there goes my sermon. <laughs> I was like, you should just come up and do that at the end again, because that, like, is exactly how I want to end the sermon, or where I want to end up at. Um, except I didn't use the word bucket filler, but that's an incredible, incredible picture. So thank you for that. Thank you for your, all you children for being here and for participating in it as well. Um, that's great. We're so happy for all the children that are here. You guys are such a special part of the church. If you would, um, we're going to be taking, the sermon's coming from 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you want to follow along, we're just going to be, I'll, I'll be reading parts of this story. I had actually hesitated to stay in the Old Testament the last couple of weeks we've been in the Old Testament. I had already kind of decided where I want to go with the, the message today. And I was like, I thought maybe I should just switch and do something in the New Testament. But the more I, the more I read in the Old Testament, the more I hear the stories that are in the Old Testament, the one thing that you, you see in the stories of the Old Testament, well, let me, let me say this. Sometimes we, we think of them as just stories. These were actual people, real people, just like you and I, who were living their lives that God used um, for His purpose. So it's not just a story. This is things that happened to actual people. But in, in the stories that we read in the Old Testament, and the one that we're going to look at today is the story of Naaman. I think you probably all know the story of Naaman. But woven into these stories is the gospel. The message of the gospel is all throughout. The message of grace, God's grace, is all throughout, um, throughout these stories. Sometimes the stories give us, maybe bring up some hard questions. Some questions like, why would God allow something like that? Why would God use something or someone like that? And even in, in this story, there's one little phrase that's just like, whoa, what's up with that? So we'll, we'll look at that in a little bit. Um, there's a lot of lessons that we could learn from the story of Naaman. Lessons about faith, lessons about greed. Remember when at the end when Gehazi comes back and he, he wants to accept the gift that Naaman had brought, but he wanted it for himself. Elisha had said no. And he ended up with the disease that Naaman had been healed from. But all throughout the story, and here's where, where I want to take our attention to, is God is, in essence, He's taking Naaman on a trip, on a journey. And each step in this story is God preparing Naaman's heart, I believe, not only for his physical healing, but also for his spiritual healing. Um, and I wanted you to think about and notice the people that God uses in the story to accomplish His purpose. So three main things that I want to think about as we look at this story. The first one is it's a story of brokenness and healing, the disease, the physical disease, but also the spiritual disease. It's a story of grace and salvation. And it's a beautiful picture of God's grace, God's salvation that is freely available for everyone. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. And then I want to end up with the last point is that how God uses, God uses people 
And sometimes I wonder, as bad as we as people mess things up, sometimes I wonder why in the world would God choose to use us? But God uses His people, and I want to call them conduits of grace, or the children's lesson, they're bucket fillers. And, and all of us are called to be conduits of grace, and we'll see that at the end. So if you're in 2 Kings 5, I'm going to read um, the first, I think I'm going to read the first 14 verses, um, the last part. The, the story goes all the way through the end of the book, or that chapter. We're not going to read all of it. We'll refer to some of it maybe a little bit later as we go through the story. So 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, or his king, he's who he went to, said thus, said thus and spoke the, the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, I know that you know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive this, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean." But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out and stand and call upon the name of his, the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father... It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. There are so many unique things that happen in this account. So many things that make me wonder, why in the world would, would that happen? Why? Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I simply want to go down through the story, and I want you to journey with Naaman and see the steps that God is taking Naaman on as we journey through this story. Who was Naaman? 
it gives us actually quite, quite a description of, description of the guy. First of all, it doesn't tell us what his name means, but if you look up his name, and names usually carried a, a lot of meaning, um, for sure here in the Old Testament. Naaman means pleasant, delightful, mean well-formed and beautiful. I take it this guy was, I don't know, what term do girls use now for a good-looking guy? A hunk? I don't know. But that's, that's, that's what this guy was, um, or sure it would seem like that. This, he was a good-looking guy. And as, you read, as, I, as I read more, the more I read about name, is like, I mean, you, you almost kind of like the guy. It seems like there's, there's a lot, he, he's a good guy. And yet... It says he was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. So not only he wasn't just a commander, he was the commander. He was the head over the whole army, all the armies in Syria. And if he was a commander in the armies of Syria, that means without question, he was an enemy of God and his people. Syria, Israel is at this point is divided into the two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom where Elisha is, and Elijah had his ministry, Elisha has his ministry there as well, is just to the southwest of Syria. And Syria would constantly be conducting raids into Israel and obviously taking captives and whatnot. So he was an enemy of the kingdom of Israel, a commander of the army. It says he was a great man, and that word would refer to his wealth. So he's incredibly wealthy. Um, and you'll see that in the gifts that he brings. The gifts that he brings are probably not just his, but also that of the king. But it seems that Naaman was a very wealthy man. And it says, his ma- a great man with his master, this is in verse 1, and in high favor. Some, some translations use the word honorable. But he had high standing with the king. So he had the king's ear. Now if... You want to be able to get what you want in life, be connected to the right people. Be connected to the powerful people. Um, So he had what he wanted. He could get what he wanted from his king. And then it says in the end of the verse, it says he was a mighty man of valor. So he was an incredible warrior. We talked last week, Marcus, or two weeks ago, Marcus talked about Goliath. He was a mighty warrior. Well, this guy, I don't know if he was a Goliath or a giant, but he was a mighty warrior. He was a man of valor, it says. But there's one phrase in there that I skipped that brings up a lot of questions. It says, he was in high favor with the king. Did you catch that? Why? Because the Lord had given him victory, had brought, through Naaman, had brought victory to Syria. Does that raise questions in your mind? Did God use Syria? Was God using Syria to punish Israel? Did God really give Israel's enemies victory over Israel? Um, Or is it simply that God in his sovereignty was aware that this was going to happen? It brings up so many questions, but and I don't I don't I don't have the answers, but if you look way at the start of Jesus' Jesus' ministry in I think it's in Luke 4. He actually refers back to this story, and he asks the question to the people he's talking to, because the people in Jesus' hometown were rejecting him. And Jesus said, weren't there lepers in Israel? 
why didn't Elisha go and heal the lepers in Israel? But the, the people of Israel had rejected the word of God. They had rejected God. And so God brings healing to the very people who were the enemies of his people. He brings healing to an enemy of Israel. And in Jesus' time, where did Jesus take the message? The people rejected Jesus' message. So the message of salvation, it comes to the Gentiles as well. And on and on and on. But just things like that, that some of the, sometimes these stories in the Old Testament bring up so many questions in our minds. Um, but back to Naaman. So he's a mighty man of valor, which I, I love that phrasing, but just just think about all those descriptions. This guy has everything going for him. Everything that you want to accomplish in life, everything that the world, our world would say, you need to have success. This guy had it. I think he was probably a national hero. Everywhere he went, people recognized this guy. He was lifted up. He was exalted. He had position, power, prestige. All the things that we desire. But then, there's a little three-letter word that shows up that completely disrupts his life. And it reveals, I think it begins to reveal in Naaman the emptiness of all the accomplishments, all the things that his power and his position have brought him. This one little word reveals how empty and unfulfilling those things are. And it's just the word but. And it changes direction in his life. It says, but he had leprosy. So why was leprosy so dreaded? Why was it such a dreaded disease? It was probably the most dreaded disease of the time. There was no cure, and I, uh, to this day, I don't know that there's a cure. Um, nurses, is there a cure, Matt? Don't know? What good's a nurse if you don't know? <laughs> No, I, I don't believe there is. I think there, there are treatments that can at least slow the process. Carla, do you know? No? Man. All right. Um, it doesn't matter. But for, at this time, there for sure was no cure. All right? So it could be, and some there's commentators take a different, different perspective here. I see Matt's on his phone Googling. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. That was great. Um, Commentators have some different ideas because the word leprosy will actually indicate several different types of skin diseases in the Old Testament. It can refer to things like um, psoriasis. That's something that we know about. Um, but my, I'm of the persuasion that Naaman had the leprosy that we think about when we talk about leprosy because of the desperation that I see in Naaman to find healing. So how does this... Why, why was this such a devastating thing for Naaman? So leprosy, the way that leprosy works is it works inside your body and it's a blood disease and out into the extremities, into your hands, your fingers, your feet and your toes, maybe even your nose, the tissue in your joints simply begins to deteriorate and become deformed. And we, we, we hear accounts about how people would lose fingers, lose thumbs, or whatever it may be because of the disease. Um, I read a book a number of years ago. Um, it's called The Gift of Pain. Has anyone read the book, The Gift of Pain? Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. 
He, this guy has spent his entire life working with lepers. And so what happens with, when the, with the tissue in the joints begins to shrivel up and die, feeling is lost in the fingers, in your hands, in your toes, in your feet. And he talks in there about the gift that pain is because when you can't feel the pain in your fingers and your toes and your hands, you have no idea when something is wrong. And in his experience, he talks about that is why fingers are lost, that is why hands are lost. I mean, he gives you countless stories of um, guys who would be swinging a hammer all day long with a big splinter stuck into their hand, and they never know it. And then infection sets in. Um, burns on their hands from turning off out light bulbs, and it would burn their flesh, but they never had a clue. They never found out. The one story is kind of nasty, but they, they were discovering these, there were the groups of lepers that they'd be sleeping in the same building. They'd wake up in the morning, and a finger would be gone. A toe would be missing, and they couldn't figure out what in the world was happening. Till one night, one of them was awake, and they saw a rat come in and was eating off a finger or a toe. Nasty. But the point is, there was no pain, there was no feeling, and so they didn't know. They didn't know something was wrong. So if this is what Naaman was dealing with, his career, everything he had worked for and fought for, is gone. I mean, he has... He has no chance. It's, it's all over. It's all gone for him. But think about how empty Naaman must feel knowing that everything he's fought for, strove for in his life is suddenly gone. And there's so many spiritual connections here, but I think you can make the connections. Everything that we strive for, our heart is aching for something. I think leprosy quite frankly, is probably an incredible picture of the condition of our hearts when we are apart from God. There's a deterioration in our hearts, and there's only, for leprosy and for the condition of our hearts, there's only a miraculous intervention that can change that. There's no cure for leprosy, there's no cure for the sin in our hearts unless there's a miraculous intervention. And that happens in Naaman, and it happens to each one of us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So leprosy is a beautiful picture, or the healing that we see here is a beautiful picture of salvation and God's grace being poured out into someone's life. So back into the story here just a little bit. I want to pick up in verse 5, and we'll make our way down through here, and then um, we'll come back to the beginning again. So leprosy had no cure. Naaman discovers he has it. His life is over. And so he hears about the prophet in Israel. So he goes to his king to secure, this is in verse 5, to secure the, the permission to go. The, permission, the king tells him, hey, go. And he sends a letter to the king of Israel. And Naaman ends up bringing all his gifts, all this stuff. And he ends up coming to the king of Israel in verse six, seven, verses 6 and 7 there. And when I read that, I was like, okay, so why in the world did he go to the king of Israel? He'd been told it's the prophet who, cures, who could cure him. And he ends up with the king of Israel. 
And I wonder, was it a mistake? Or perhaps did Naaman simply assume that healing would come from the most powerful man in the nation? Perhaps this is an illustration of Naaman's pride and his dependency on human, human power. And so I think perhaps this is the first step because the reaction of the king is obviously not good. Um, he thinks the king of Syria is simply picking another fight. And the king of Israel, Jehoram, at this time, or Joram, um, not quite sure. But he, he reigned for 12 years, and his reign was just full of war, war, war. Battle after battle after battle. And he thinks this, that's what's happening again. The king's just picking the fight with him. But I think God is stripping Naaman of his, depend, his dependency on human power. And then if we go on down, Elisha sends word and tells Naaman, or send him down here, send him to me, and he says, so that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 8. Verse 9, Naaman shows up. What happens? Elisha doesn't even come to the door. Does that strike you as odd? He simply sends a servant out and says, hey, to this powerful man, and he says, go wash, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Doesn't even come to the door. I, I find that shocking. And I was like, what in the world? Why wouldn't Elisha at least come out and talk to the guy? And Naaman, you read the story, or Naaman walks away and he is ticked off. Two reasons he's ticked off. He's like, this guy doesn't even have the courtesy to come to the door and, and heal me in some magnificent way. You see, Naaman came expecting some massive display of power from God in his healing. Because that's how Naaman thought. That's how Naaman expected. That's what he was used to. He expected something truly sensational. Something that was perhaps worthy of all the gifts that he had brought. Do you catch that back in verse 5, the gifts that he brought? I looked it up. It says it's 750 pounds of silver. I don't know what the value of that is today. I didn't look that up. But that's a pile of silver. And 150 pounds of gold. Who'd like to have 150 pounds of gold in their portfolio about now? Just a quick Google search would say that comes out to like 2.8 million. So it kind of gives you a picture of what Naaman came with. Why did he come with all these extravagant gifts? But I think he expected a healing that was worthy of those gifts, something sensational. And I think there are, time, there are times when God moves in sensational, maybe not, that's not the word, or thunderous, big, magnificent ways. But more often than not, I think God moves in small, subtle ways, small steps of obedience and faith that we take, is where God works His most powerful miracles in our lives. And we may not even be aware of them sometimes in, when they're happening. So anytime, maybe this is, this is just me, but when we want to make, or when we make things sensational, you know, um, they have to be big, thunderous, magnificent events or things. I have these caution flags that go flying up in my head. Because when, when that happens, maybe we're a lot like Naaman. We just want the experience rather than the connection with the one true God. And the second reason Naaman was ticked off is because the Jordan River was flat out nasty, muddy. Who likes swimming 
or going, kids don't care, I guess, but into a muddy river or stream. Um, This wasn't what he was used to. So a simple step of faith is all Naaman needed to take. But I believe, this is my thinking, I I think that Elisha didn't come to the door and he told him to go dip in the Jordan River, the murkiest river around, because Naaman had to come to a place of humility and brokenness for God to be able to work in his life. And that's exactly where God needs to take each one of us if we're going to find healing for the pain or for the condition of our own hearts. But it's also a beautiful picture that salvation cannot be bought. All the gifts that Naaman brought, if you go on down through the story in chapter in verses 15 and on, after he's healed, he comes back to Elisha and he wants to give him these gifts. And Elisha says, I can't. And I ask, I wonder, is it, would it have been wrong? Was it wrong for Elisha to accept any gifts? I don't know. Clearly God had told him not to. But I think it's a picture that Naaman could not buy his healing, just like you and I cannot buy our salvation with what we've earned, with what we bring. And so it's simply a gift that God gives us. And for us to accept that, and for Naaman to accept his healing, he had to be brought to a place of humility. And that's the place where God wants to bring each one of us. One final point, and this is where where I want to end up with. Did you guys think about it, that there was one part of the story that we completely skipped? Did anyone think about it? Go way back to verses 2 and 3. Everything that happens from verse 4 on is the result of one little girl being used as God's messenger. She was a bucket filler, as the children's lesson was. And I, I, have it, I put it down as a conduit of grace. Because any time, any time, we could look at the other people in Naaman's life, when God is taking someone on a journey, God was taking Naaman on a journey, he's preparing their hearts for something that he wants to do in their lives, he uses people to minister, to speak into that. Um, and God used, he used, his, he used other servants, but he used this little girl as a conduit for his grace. Now, conduit, you guys know what conduit is, right? You run an electrical wire underground. You run the conduit, then the wire goes through it. The conduit in and of itself has no strength, has nothing it can accomplish. But what flows through that conduit is what gives power coming out of that conduit. And God wants each one of us to be conduits of his grace in someone's life. This little girl, it tells us very little about her. It doesn't tell us her name. It doesn't tell us her age. All it tells us is that she was a little girl and that she was a slave. So think about that. Think about her condition, her position, for sure in contrast to Naaman. So the details that we do have as a slave, she's likely been taken, well, she was taken from her homeland, probably taken from her parents, unless she was an orphan, and she becomes the slave of the man who is responsible for robbing her of her family, her freedom, her friends, her childhood. 
And very likely, he's the man who's responsible possibly even for the death of her parents when he snagged her and took her as, an, as a slave. So why in the world would she care that Naaman had leprosy? Shouldn't she be glad that he had it? I'm, I'm struck with that. How do I feel? How do I love the people who've misused and mistreated me? Everything in her life has been stripped away, and yet she sees a need in someone else's life, and she becomes a conduit of God's grace in Naaman's life. And Naaman, for some reason, listens to the advice of a little slave girl. And I think the life that she lived, how she lived, gave weight to her words. So just to wrap it up, Naaman, the man who had done, who had everything going for him in his life, he was the man who robbed the little girl of the opportunity to have anything going for her in her life. He robbed her of her normal childhood. And yet when his world was rocked by the, the, with the blow of leprosy, somehow God in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, had prepared this little girl to be his messenger. And so the, what I want to leave us with today is how this week will you, can you, be a conduit for God's grace? How can you be a bucket filler? How can you fill someone's bucket? Because just as God was working and preparing Naaman's heart, I believe, because not only did God heal him physically, but in the latter part of the chapter, he does, he asks a weird thing of Elisha. He asks Elisha for, to load two mules with dirt from the land of Israel for him to take home. It's like, what's up with that? Why would you want to take dirt home? But the reason was because his heart had turned and he wanted to build an altar with dirt from the, the land of Israel because that's where the God of Israel was. And he wanted to he build an altar so that he could worship the God of Israel. And so God was preparing his heart and he used a little girl. And so just like the story, the children's story goes, it doesn't matter your age. You can be five 1880, it does not matter. God will and can use you to be a conduit for His grace, to be a bucket filler in someone's life. All He needs is for you to be available. All He needs is for you and I to be available to say to someone, God loves you. Or in the lesson of the children, a smile. Do you ever see what a smile does to someone who is, I don't know, feels lonely and lost. A smile speaks volumes. A thank you note. What about just telling someone God loves you? It doesn't have to be huge, extravagant, but it's simply being available. And there's not a person sitting in this room who cannot be available and be used by God if we're simply willing to let Him. So this week, and even maybe maybe more than we should always be doing it, but look for a way, one way, to be a conduit of grace, pouring something into someone else's life. So I leave you with that. Um, thanks for your attention. Let's pause to pray. Worship team will come up and close with the song. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. 
God, thank you for the work that you do and are doing in each one of our lives. And so, God, as we, as we look at this story of Naaman, I pray that we could be like this little girl. Lord, sometimes the, the youngest among us give us the best example of what your heart is like. And so we, we, we ask that you would help us to see with your eyes the people around us and be available to allow you to use us to minister to someone in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>